everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of Disney Plus. This week, we're three brothers and a dad. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm Sam. I'm Mike. I'm the dad. And we are joined by a super special guest, Steve Anderson. He's the director of Meet the Robinsons, Winnie the Pooh, uh, and Monsters at Work uh, as well. He's worked on pretty much every Disney animated movie since Snow White, just about, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> just about. Uh, just about. Yeah. yeah but Steve, right. thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Um, thanks. I'll, I'll try to stay awake since I'm that old. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll do my but, best. Real quick, I wanted to start, actually. I saw this today that Bernie Mattinson uh, passed away. He was 87, the oldest Disney employee, or longest Disney employee, I should wow. say, 70 years. Yeah. Um, and I saw he actually was a story wow. supervisor on Winnie the Pooh and uh, maybe had probably worked with you many other times. Do you have any memories or interaction that you know stood out? Because it, it looks like you had interacted with him quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a tough, uh, afternoon today, I bet. <laughs> uh, hearing about that. It's been a while since I talked to Bernie and I, I wish I'd talked to him more recently, but, um, yeah, he, um, is, uh, I mean, just as a human being, he's one of the most genuine people I've ever met with the most warm and, and just pure kind of person. Oh. Like there's nothing about him that's duplicitous or uh negative he's just always positive he's just always bernie um just a lovely man and an incredible talent um yeah as you said he's he started in 1953 wow. as a as a traffic boy wow. on the studio lot um doing deliveries uh, all over the place um uh some of sometimes actually going to walt's office he, wow. he told me stories about actually going there and you know that's, giving that's walt spectacular deliveries and stuff um and pretty much did everything you can possibly imagine in the animation world at disney he was a in-betweener an animator story artist director producer um two of my favorite disney films uh mickey's christmas carol and the great mouse detective yeah. were both produced Classics. and directed by bernie wow so when i got to meet him when i came to disney and i got to meet him uh, you know it was like it was it was pretty pretty impactful um, but then getting to work with him was even more uh, amazing and kind of surreal. There were there were many moments on Winnie the Pooh, which he was he he was with us from the very beginning uh, from that project, and he would always he would always sit to my right at the table, our story room table, mm -hmm. and there were moments where I would just sort of leave the meeting in my head and kind of go you're sitting next to Bernie. He's like <laughs> sitting right next to you. And, and he's, he's helping you with a movie that you're, you know, that you're leading. Um, uh, it was, a, it was definitely a pinch me moment. Uh, um, I bet. He, he was incredible. Uh, he will really be missed. Disney oh, wow. legend. I mean, that is quite yep. the legacy. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. incredible, but 50. Yeah. So that would have been a couple years even before Disneyland. I mean, that's, that is, mm -hmm. it's a long time ago. That's cool. Yep, but, he uh, talked about. He told me stories about um, as a traffic boy, he would uh, poke and poke his head into the sound stages when they were shooting Twenty Thousand Leagues wow. Under the Sea. Um, that was the first movie to be shot on the Disney lot, so he got to watch that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Disneyland. What a lot of Disneyland was built on this on the studio lot, as right. I'm sure you all know. Um, yeah, he he. I mean. Other than the really early days, he pretty much saw it all. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know, it's only yeah. 30 years, I guess, less than the whole company. Yeah. 
which is just crazy. Wow. But definitely be missed, obviously, from not even knowing him. But I'm sure people got to work with him every day because he was still pretty much active all the way to the end, I think, right? I mean, yeah, he was. Yeah, um, it looks like he'd worked on Strange yeah. World, even. I mean, that's. <laughs> It's as recent as it gets. Yeah. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely. He, he never seemed to want to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome though. Well, Steve, it seems like you're on your way to becoming that, that same longevity. <laughs> You've been there a long time, like 25 plus years, uh, you know, like yeah. Ben said, you've, you've worked on really everything in, in recent history, uh, you've had your, <laughs> you've dabbled in. Um, but today we're going to look at uh, Meet the Robinsons and, uh, you know, you're talking to some fans here. Uh, I, I think we always, every time we watch it, we're like, that is just a great movie. But I did a little uh, background checking and uh, this must all be right because it's on Wikipedia. So we'll just <laughs> pretend like it is. Um, you can correct me. But just some fun facts. It was made in 2007, same year as Enchanted and Ratatouille. Uh, it was based on the book, A Day with Wilbur Robinson. Um, you are not, and this is, this is what I'm really excited. You're not only the director, but you're also the voice of the bowler guy, the bowler hat guy, and uh, uh, Michael Yagubian, uh, also known as Noob, um, which is super cool. Um, your grandpa, Bud, and I didn't know this until, you were also cousin to Lula, uh, yeah. which is, that has got to be a claim to fame right there. Um, but this the 50th anim- animated movie by Disney. It's the first time the Whistling Mickey was introduced to a Disney animated uh, studios movie. Uh, the first animated movie to use the new castle intro. Uh, so it's the last CG animated film not from Pixar to be rated G. Uh, it was scored by Danny Elfman, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. Um, and uh, the uh, last Walt Disney animated film with the Buena Vista picture distribution name. And the first Walt Disney animated film made after acquiring Pixar. So that's a lot of that's a lot of first, but you know, overall just a great, great movie. And maybe you could just start with uh, you know, how you got involved, uh, and and why, you know, this this peculiar book, uh, you know, uh, of of the Robinsons. What what appealed to you? What appealed to everybody then? Yeah, well, so my uh, involvement started in uh, late 2002. Um, I just finished up as story supervisor on Brother Bear. Um, rewinding a couple years before that, I was a supervisor, story supervisor on Emperor's New Groove. And when that film was finished, I, I went to the studio and said, "Hey, I'd love to direct someday. Would you keep you know keep me in mind?" whenever you know just for the future and they said absolutely we would we would do that we we thought you did a great job on groove uh we'd like you to do one more tour of duty as a leader um and which led to brother bear so i did that and then as that was wrapping up um we started talking about maybe some projects that i could help develop as as kind of a test for directing someday um until pardon me until um it was about December of that year. They, I was called into uh, the head of development at the time. Her name's Pam was Pam Coates, uh, and she called me in and said, "Hey, we have this script uh, that we have written. Our develop some couple of our development executives wrote this script, uh, had, had uh, developed the script with a writer that they had hired uh, based on this book, A Day with Wilbur Robinson. And we'd like to see, you know, have you read it and see if it's something you might want to develop and potentially direct someday." So I read it and I came back to them and I, to Pam and I said, 
you don't understand. Uh, I really have to do this movie um, because what they didn't know uh, is that uh, I was adopted and this story that they had developed completely apart from me, right. not, you know, there was no reason for this to connect at all with me. Um, was about this boy who was trying to get adopted and, and asking these questions about where he came from and, you know, who his birth mother was, which were, you know, the same kind of questions I'd asked ever since I could remember. My parents yeah. told me very early that I was adopted. Um, and I was adopted as an infant, not as a, you know, as a, as a 12 year old like Lewis is in the movie. Um, so somewhat different circumstances, but that same quest for understanding of, you know, who, where did I come from? Who did I come from? Uh, so I totally got this kid. And I said, when I told Pam that she was like, wow, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, then we're going to do that. Um, so that was kind of my, the beginning uh, of it for me. Um, the studio said, look, we, we're not, we're not going to green light this movie right away. We just, all we want to do is bring on a story team and an editorial team. And you, we want you to storyboard um, the whole film and do a, a, you know, one of those story screenings of the entire movie first, and then we'll decide whether we're going to make it or not. We're not going to hire art directors or producers or any of that stuff. We're just going to do that. And, uh, so that was our task for the next, uh, year was to, uh, was to come up with a take, come up with a version, a storyboarded version of that script. Cause I mean, I assume that had, you know, all those years working, that was kind of, I mean, to actually direct your own Disney animated movie had to have been. So was there a moment where you knew like, okay, this is going to happen? Was that just like the best thing in the entire world? Or was it kind of, you know, more gradual? Uh, what was that like? Uh, yeah, probably the, I mean, I, I would say still to this day, the the moment, one of the moments that stands as as a highlight of my career was the day that we, screened this first version of meet the robinsons that i'm telling that i was telling you about this first storyboard yeah. screening um uh and it was i think it was about a year later after, after getting the script in 2003 and uh um i'll go on a little bit of a tangent just to sort of explain yeah the story a little bit more uh to my experience being at Disney in the story department since 1995 on Tarzan, um, it was not the practice to storyboard and screen the whole movie first. Hmm. Usually what movies would do is they would storyboard act one and screen it and go, oh, neat, we, here's act one, that's exciting, it's going good, keep going. Then you would screen act one and act two, and then you would get some more notes because you'd have a little bit more of the movie and you start to, you know, but start to understand a little bit more. Um, so you'd go back and you'd do fixes to act one and act two. Maybe you'd start boarding act three, but you kind of keep, you know, working on one and two. Before you know it, you might actually start getting some stuff into production, um, animation, you know, a couple sequences might start going into animation. Um, and then finally, one day you screen the whole movie and uh, with the, the, you know, A to Z and everybody goes, oh, that's not working. We have to like, we got to go back to the beginning yeah. and start all over again. And there was something kind of, you know, I wonder why we never did that up till up till the point. But Pam Coates, when she gave me that original script, she said, we want to do something different with this movie. We want, because we're just going to bring on story and editorial only to build reels 
for this screening um, before we decide to make it, uh, we're going to storyboard the entire thing. We want you to board the whole movie and screen it. Wow. And and again, odd that that, yeah. that, that was unusual, but um, but there we were. That's that was the that was the state of it. So when we screened the the movie, um, again to my experience at that point at the studio, that had never happened. No one had, you'd never seen a complete thought A to Z the first time out for a, for an, for one of our, our movies in development. Um, and it was a it was it was the 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 audience. Now it was just audience of my of our peers. You know, it was just a studio yeah. internal screening. But everybody in the room was so supportive and so. A couple of people actually stood up and applauded at the end of wow. the screening. It was a lovely moment. And uh, afterwards, everybody was sort of a buzz about the movie because because again, they saw a complete movie that was unusual. Um, and they could they could you know really follow the arc of the story and of the characters, um, so that was a really lovely moment, and uh, and that was probably the moment where I was like, okay, I think we have something, even if we don't get to make this movie, I kind of in a weird way feel like we made it. Yeah. At least we got to tell mm -hmm. our story. But then the good news was after that they said we're going to green green light you, and uh, you're going to be in the next movie. So was that kind of the whole process? Was it pretty smooth? transition into making it because i know a lot of films they're greenlit and then they're shelved and they're greenlit uh, and i would assume that's kind of a dangerous way to do it isn't it i mean because it's easy like you said they can go well i don't like it you know or right. or you have to go back and re put the puzzle back together again yeah well the good news was that everybody could agree on the overall arc of the movie, mm. the theme of the movie, which was keep moving forward. We had mm. that right there in the first screening. Um, you so there was a you could at least have a consensus of okay, we we know what the overall kind of shape of this thing is, who the characters are, what's the journey, what's it about. So now the now the you know how we get to point from point A to point B um, changed quite a bit. Um, another challenge was the actual production. You know, it was the first human CG movie that Disney right. had done. They had done mm. Dinosaur, but that was dinosaurs. They had done Chicken Little, but that mm. was super cartoony. <laughs> um, great, but like, yeah, not you know, not, not a believable kind of world that we were trying to get to. A little more of like an Incredibles kind of world where, yeah. you know, realistic lighting and, yeah. and textural, you know, sets and growing hair and skin and all that kind of stuff. That was the first time that Disney had ever done that. So there was a huge, um, you know, a huge effort to get all the appropriate R and D, um, ready in order to do that. Um, we were always constricted with budget. <laughs> um, then, you know, the whole, the, there's a whole other, story maybe it's not for today i don't know but uh you know then there was this just the studio leadership at the time um that was very dysfunctional uh and not always out to to make the best movie they were oftentimes out to make the best commercial decision or um make decisions that reflected some what somebody else had a success with like for right. example i remember one monday morning coming in this was the monday after shark tale the dreamworks movie had come out 
and it made, done very I well. lasted forever, you know? I mean, people still talk <laughs> well, about yeah, right. <laughs> Well, they had a, you know, they had a right, huge right. star-studded cast. Will yeah, Smith. Yeah, Will Smith, right. Like, and so that Monday morning, the, the head of the studio was like, we got to get celebrities in this movie because we didn't mm. we didn't have celebrities. We just got you know the best actors for the job and what we what we thought. And it's like we got to get celebrities. We got to recast the whole movie and we're going to do that. So that it, that was like an example of what happened constantly. It was a reaction. Is that how Tom Selleck no, got him on board? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a totally different story. <laughs> that, that was a great story. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that was just a throwaway joke. Really? It's so cool. It was one of our great. story artists. It's yeah, one of the few that joke. actually has a live action, like, I mean, a picture of a person in it. You right. know, I mean, it's a painting, yeah. I guess, technically, but that's such a cool yeah. thing. <laughs> that was so fun. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it was a, there was some stormy seas that we, that we uh, yeah. definitely had to uh, navigate. Because it was a little gonna, bit. Oh, go ahead. I, I thought you were going to say you were, you guys considered uh, making all the characters fish instead of humans. For <laughs> the no, thankfully, okay. but I'm not surprised that wasn't adjusted. Uh, uh, well, how did, I'm just curious. I mean, because, you know, you are the voice of, uh, of the bowler hat guy, um, which is so cool. Uh, you know, I don't know if you'll tell your great grandchildren that, or that'll be the coolest thing ever. Um, <laughs> But, you know, how, how does that come about? I mean, I know I've heard other stories where guys, you know, they're doing it in the as they're pitching it and they go, you know, I want my vo the voice like this. No. Yeah. And then they say, OK, you do it. Is that how it happened? Pretty much. Um, uh, yeah, it's kind of, you know, there's there's the precedent of like Chris Sanders, who did the voice of Stitch mm -hmm. and Brad Bird, who did Edna Mode. Um, oftentimes. Uh, when we do these storyboard screenings we do what we call scratch voices which are just these temp voices that we throw in and we just do them ourselves yeah and and you because you so you have those temp voices in there and then because over the course of of the early um process of story development you screen the movie quite a few times and so those sometimes those temp voices start getting mm. kind of married to those characters and then it gets really hard for people people's yeah. brains to kind of leap to another voice um which i think is probably the reason of those other you know brad bird and chris sanders and definitely what happened i think with me is that um and we did start talking about actually casting the role but then the studio came back and said hey we think we think you did a great job we'd like you to keep doing it mm -hmm. which was lovely and uh not expected and not anything I, you know, was, was campaigning to do. Yeah. Um, and there was quite a, uh, quite a few voices in the film are, are the story team. Um, right. mm -hmm. characters were done by, I think every story artist has at least one, one voice mm -hmm. role in the, in really the movie cool. for that reason. Well, well, I don't mean to monopolize, but oh, so I can, say. Sam, you ask questions too, but you know, you had some pretty cool voices. I mean, with Adam West, uh, you know, that's just a, a great voice, and he was used in Chicken Little uh, prior mm -hmm. to this. But um, what a a, a great uh, a voice! Um, but I know you did have uh, because Lewis's voice changed <laughs> somewhere in the middle. Is that like every director's nightmare? <laughs> yeah, especially for animation when you're get when you're when you have characters that are kids. Mm. Animation takes so long. Uh, and depending on the age of the of the characters in the movie uh, and how early you cast, 
uh, in a couple years, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and you <laughs> did use both in the movie. In the final <laughs> version of the movie, both kids are in it then. Or yeah. it's not re-recorded the whole thing, right? Well, yeah. Well, well uh, it is for Wilbur. Okay. Um, but not for Lewis. So okay. I'll try to make this long story short. Um, <laughs> we had two, we had uh, uh, Wesley Singerman as Wilbur and Daniel Hansen as Lewis, uh, right from the get go, from that very first storyboard screening too. We went ahead and just dove in and hired some kids because we knew that was going to be the best for the for the screening. Um, and we loved them. We kept them as, as the voices. But, you know, a couple of years into it, we start realizing Oh shoot! <laughs> These aren't matching. Oh. And, you know, the more you know, we're we're like butting them up against themselves from a few years ago, and and oh shoot, what are yeah. we going to do? So <laughs> we tried to find soundalikes for both kids. We were successful with Lewis. We found Jordan Fry, uh, who at the time was Mike TV in the Tim Burton Charlie mm-hmm. the Chocolate Factory. When yeah. I saw that movie. I closed. I I was like, wait a minute, and I closed my eyes and I started listening to him. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think that kid might be might work, and he was perfect. Wow. And there are there are lines in the movie that literally half a sentence is Daniel and half a sentence mm. is Jordan, uh, so they really matched. We were never able to find uh, somebody that matched Wesley for for Wilbur. He had such a unique uh, kind of husky voice. So we ended up um, re-recording the whole movie with wesley as a 16 year old um uh you know to the picture we just went ahead and animated the movie we had we had somebody come in and do some scratch to fill in the new stuff that we needed and then we what they call loop looping um we looped the whole movie with uh with wesley as a 16 year old and the funny thing is wesley at one point because we kept bringing them back to re-record because we kept rewriting the movie and uh at one point he joked he said Gosh, this movie's taking so long. I'm going to be able to drive myself to the to the premiere. <laughs> and on the day that he came in to do his AD, his looping for Wilbur, he goes, "Look!" and he held up his driver's wow. license. Nice. <laughs> I wasn't joking. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, wow. So since you were so connected to the Buller Hat guy, and uh, this is your project, so where did the inspiration come for Doris? And I have to say, I mean, I think super good sidekick kind of villain character. And it's honestly pretty creepy in some parts. It's almost like yeah. it's AI or something, um, but super cool. And yeah, where'd the hat inspiration come from? Well, what I remember is uh, the the original script uh, had created this villain character. Um, he, he evolved quite a bit from there, but um, he was this bad guy and he was wearing a bowler hat. And the script very specific, particularly said, it's this guy wearing a bowler hat, um, but never really uh, there's never any reason for it. It was just a, it was just in the description of the character. And my friend Don Hall, who was the story supervisor on the movie and who's gone on to do Big Hero 6 and Strange World and directed Winnie the Pooh with me, um, he was storyboarding the first sequence of the science fair with uh, their, where Doris, where the hat appears. And for some reason, it got and he got really annoyed with the script he was like why does this writer keep specifying that he has a bowler hat when there's no re like there's no story reason for it and he was like right. i'm gonna find a story reason for it yeah. so he turned the bowler hat into this the sidekick character hmm. or the just kind of as a as a as a joke and out of his frustration with wow. <laughs> with the the scene description uh and so then that became you know his 
his uh, his sidekick, and then and things changed a bit then when when John Lasseter came in and gave us a bunch of notes um, because that early version Doris was truly um, second banana to right. to Bowler Hat guy. Um, but in our minds, we had always kind of created this idea that, well, what if she's actually really smarter than he is, but she's just sort of going along for the ride because she's, you know, humoring him. And then when we got these notes that that they said they felt um, Lasseter and the Pixar folks felt that the that the villain didn't really have any teeth. They didn't quite wasn't a, enough of a threat. And their suggestion was make Bowler Hat guy more of a threat and take him, you know, not make him that sort of goofy man child. Mm -hmm. We were like, no, we don't really want to do that. But what if we make Doris the real threat? What if we pull that kind of that little backstory that we had in our heads and actually bring that into the forefront? She she is the mastermind of the whole thing, and she has a greater plan than than uh, adult goo. Was it still goo that that's, whole time as well? Like, so, I mean, yeah. it was still, yeah. Yeah, that would have been a bummer, yeah. though, if you had lost that final kind of redemption, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. pretty cool. And, and she's, oh, yeah. But I was just saying, Doris was, yeah, ended up being a very, a very effective character and ends up pulling kind of through his whole plan under underneath him or whatever. Um, I was also going to say little, that it's, it's pretty, that last couple scenes there, it, yeah. you know, I was showing my kids last night, actually, uh -huh. I haven't seen it yet. And I was like watching just to make sure, cause the one's like three or, or four just turned four. So, uh, but they, they were fine, but, uh, it, it's, it's definitely, yeah. yeah. I, I think and it I really plays off that. the, uh, it plays off the, you know, the fear of all humans of machines taking over <laughs> as it will. Yeah. And also Which I have to say, the, the, oh, yeah. Yeah, but just, the, uh, chat, GPT the sound effects like also. I I could listen to her crawling around all day long. I don't know whoever yeah. had the designing of the sound, but it's great. <laughs> yep, yep. Sound design was great. The all the little burbles. <laughs> yep. and yeah, yeah. Totally great, great Sam, character. What do you got, Sam? I was just gonna say, um, at what what time were you working on the from getting the script to kind of releasing the movie? What period of time were you working on that? Uh, it was about four and a half years, I think it was, uh, so 2000, so basically 2000, let's say 2003 through, um, uh, we finished it late 2006. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and it came out in 2007. Yeah. So I think something like that. Was that like yeah. four-ish years? Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like it, it, from the original script that you were handed, did it, what percentage of the movie changed or? You know, did you ever go back to the book or away from the book further than the script? Um, the original script changed quite a lot, uh, except for the basic elements, the time travel, the adoption, mm -hmm. uh, the 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 basic cast of characters. Um, I do. Re I think we pulled a few. I think the the makeup of the family changed a little bit from the script. We did go back to the book and pulled some of those characters didn't have uncle wormley though who's a giant caterpillar guy apparently i just was yeah, looking through the book him. today and i was like wow <laughs> i'm not, not shocked and really the book is only when they get to the house kind of it's it's you know all the rest is is additional i mean lewis was not you know a future self of him you know younger version right. of himself so it, it was really a lot to you were able to kind of deviate from the book it seemed like which is cool yeah. Yeah. We wanted at the same time, we wanted to pull as much as we could from the book. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I remember as a kid, I always liked 
being able to watch a movie and then go back to the book and go, oh, yeah, and like compare and contrast what was different. And so I, I wanted to make sure we had a, a, as much as we could in there. Um, yeah. But, you know, make sure we we are true to the story we were trying to tell. I think you guys captured a super unique feeling for the movie. I don't watching it again this week. I don't know if I've watched a movie that kind of has that same kind of goofy yet. I don't even know how to describe it completely. Optimistic, um, I would say. Yeah. Inspirational. <laughs> it's just different. And I think that's, yeah. Did you guys did you feel I, like you did anything special to achieve that? Um, I, it's hard to say what we did to achieve that. We definitely started out by saying we just wanted to try to do something different. There was yeah. already something apparently different in the concept because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Disney had done some science fiction there at the time there was Lilo and Stitch and Treasure Planet mm-hmm. and Atlantis, but there was a science fiction element to it, which we thought was neat. The time travel, um, uh, the two boys kind of being the leads made always made me feel more like a, like an eighties movie, like a Goonies mm-hmm. or yeah. one of those movies where, or Explorers. If you're familiar with that movie where, you know, kids are the kids are the heroes and they're the ones that are, you know, uh, driving the adventure um so there uh, there was just a feeling about it that we thought this could be really this could be a very disney movie but at the same time mm-hmm. have a totally different feeling and it was contemporary as well mm-hmm. at least the, you know the lewis sections mm-hmm. or the present day sections um so i think we just saw, saw you know started out to do find ways to do what something that we wouldn't have expected to do yeah. or yeah. um you know, approach things just like, oh, how? I'll also, I'll say that part of, and this wasn't necessarily intentional, it was more just circumstantial, but there was so, so much of the movie was like, oh, geez, we don't have a lot of time and we got to get a lot of work done. We better just, we got to cook, we got to move. We don't have a lot of time to overthink and second guess things. Yeah. So um, I think that gave us a lot of, I think that helped with that feeling, that mm-hmm. kind of breezy feeling that the movie has that, that I hope it has. Um, because it was really, for me personally, it was really a lesson in, in that whole yes and school of, of working with people and of collaborating. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have a lot of time to sit in the story room and decide, okay, who are these characters? And let's talk about their backstories and let's analyze them and all that. It was like, no, uh, you, you're going to, you know, uh, you, Don Hall, you're going to go board storyboard this sequence. We don't have any pages for it. It's totally, we've completely <laughs> thrown out the script. So we're going to make it up. Uh, let's try this, this, and this is this for the, these five things are the main beats. Um, and then just go. And then, you know, super talented people take assignments like that. They go back and they work on them. They come back and they bring these amazing things. Um, that you never would have expected. You never, you know, could have planned out by talking for three hours in a room. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, oh, that's cool. You're the, and you're the first person that you know that did anything with uh, the character of Wilbur, uh, and that's pretty fun. Okay, everybody, that's Wilbur now. Everybody follow that lead <laughs> yeah. for Wilbur, and that might change later. But it's like that just that's just a place to start. Let's go. Yes, and that's Wilbur. Go now. You know it was really built that way it was really a lot of it was very seat of the pants um so maybe that has something to do with it where we you know we couldn't really we didn't really uh we didn't approach it in a very analytical or methodical way 
Yeah. Well, well I think your, the music was amazing. Yes. I mean, it really, because, you know, some of the animated, uh, especially maybe more moderns, they, they'll play some contemporary music, but it doesn't feel like it fits. Uh, or, or it looks, or they could have brought it from anywhere. This feels like it Daniel's has kind of a little bit of both. You know, mm -hmm. where it's got the big scenes where they're coming into today land, you know, and, and it and it feels so like, you know, it's so good. Sounds great. And then yeah. the hello, you know, that kind of music just fits so wonderful. And so, uh, you know, it was just great. Now, do, do you go looking for that or does somebody else, you know, choose all that or how do you go about that? Yeah, well, uh, I definitely wanted music in the film but knew that it was not going to be a a musical mm -hmm. um so in our early screening i i just slugged in myself and my our editor and and don halls had a story we as we built that those reels we slugged in some temp songs just to kind of hold the place for um someday when maybe we'd get to actually write new songs for these these sections so we did structure it out and plan very early that there would be some kind of sung over the action type songs like a la tarzan or maybe toy story um uh and then uh we had an amazing music department um uh the head for the whole for the whole studio it was a man named chris montan and then for feature animation specifically it was a, a man named tom mcdougall and uh they're just brilliant with um knowing who's out there who's really unique and different, but very Disney, um, you know, who's been used a million times, what, like they have all that really great knowledge. So it was Chris and Tom who uh, suggested Rufus Wainwright, who came with Jamie Cullum. Um, uh, they had asked me my opinion for who, to, who I would love to score the movie. My number one choice was Danny Elfman. You picked very <laughs> but I well. I never thought we would get him. I just wow. never, I, you know, I never thought. But, and Chris Montan said, Danny is the perfect guy for this. And Chris had worked with Danny previously on Nightmare Before Christmas and Dick Tracy. Those were two other films that Danny had scored. And Chris, again, head of the whole studio uh, music department. Um, so Chris knew Danny and said, well, let's talk to him and see if he'd do it. And he did it, and uh, it was perfect. I was, so blown. Cool. So I was blown away. The, uh, but track. yeah, I'm really proud of the music um, in the in the movie because it's very, very unique. But but again, very heartfelt. And mm -hmm. I I, I think oh, and Rob Thomas as well. That was uh, yeah, little one. That was that came from Chris and Tom as yeah. well. Um, so they were great. They were fantastic. Great music. Yep. Yeah, I mean that that final scene obviously I think is just one of the best Disney moment kind of, you know, scenes. Uh, and also the, the first, yeah, when you get to today world and you see all of that, you know, I, yeah, that's perfect. That should be in more of the Disney montage type stuff. You know, it's just, it's so beautiful. And so captures the feeling and kind of on, you were saying earlier, I think one of the cool things about it is you don't really explain any of it. You know, it's just there. It's like, why is there a giant octopus? You know, there's, there's no reason. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of adds to just like, the weirdness but the just the the world exists and it's super fun um but i will say 
I like trying to make time travel make sense in my mind. And this movie (laughs) broke me as a child of like, I can't understand how this is supposed to work. And even yesterday, yeah, even yesterday, I was like, I'm just not sure it all works out this way. But it's so fun and it's a blast and having all the the future self and all that is just so cool. But uh, it broke me as a kid. But yeah. we, we chose to be a little more uh, to try to just be simple with it yeah, and, yeah. and try not to get too uh, multiverse in, in it. The weeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, good, wise call. Uh, but, you know, it's been, let's see, we're 2023. So that's 16 years. You know, if looking back, is there something, if you could go back, you know, and change or do differently is there anything that you're like oh i wish i could have done that you know maybe mm. it's maybe added something maybe it's maybe it's changed something uh well overall i mean my first thought is i would love to i would love the uh, i think that the animation in the film is great and it, it was as great as we could make it that said uh i wish we had the technology that we have today for cg animation and cg humans back then um that we could you know that we could go through go in and really plus the performances and and just you know really sweeten the animation again that's not a criticism of any of the animation staff because everybody did an amazing job and again the best that we that we could do um at the time Uh, i think from a story standpoint I've always been a little bit iffy about the opening. I think we had stronger openings uh, in previous versions. Um, and I mean, when I mean openings, I mean like the Barry opening, uh, particularly the introduction of Lewis. I think we had some, mm. we had we had some stronger uh, introductions of him. I think the Goob Lewis moment is cute in their room when Goob is sort of chattering on. I like Goob. Making that, <laughs> making that. Um, but I think we had, I think we had better Huh. better versions um where you really got a little bit more into lewis's head and and showed him as as a as a dreamer and got into mm. some you know like daydreams that he had and mm-hmm. well, he was in the middle of a of a um interview with prospective parents and and he kind of like went into his head and imagined him as a happy family in a flying car with these people and they're like this kid's weird he like oh, hello okay. hello oh. and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I think there was some. There might have been some stronger moments in there, but but yeah. that's. I I don't think. Even if we went back and did that, I would. Right. There's something right. else. Oh, I'd say. I wish we could do that. There's it's always, nice. you know, there's always something. <laughs> do you, Do you find it hard to watch your previous projects and enjoy them for what they are versus like analyzing every scene? Yeah, yeah. I oh, that's another thing. I think I would change is I would slow the movie down. Mm. <laughs> um, I would I would want a little more running time so that we could kind of get some breaths in there because um, that's one of the things if 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 I ever catch any of it now um, first of all I try not to because it is really hard <laughs> I don't like it but because it's just it is really yeah. hard to watch yeah. um, but that's right that kind of the main thing that I notice when I watch it is like oh my gosh this thing is like pow 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 it moves quick for sure uh, yeah it does move quick and and I like things that move quick, but I don't know. Maybe again, maybe I'm too close to it. But sometimes I think, boy, I wish we, we if we could have had like another f- extra five Snyder or ten minutes. Snyder cut, you know, four at hours the end, long. We could have just like 
yeah. you could just you know yeah. stretch some things out a little bit yeah right. so does the bowler hat guy ever come out of you anymore i mean like when you're watching or with someone or does it does it bubble out <laughs> No, I, I mean, you don't I, do a <laughs> the amazing yeah. monologue he has where he tells Goob, don't let it go, you know, and he does yeah. the whole thing. And I, I've always that's thought fantastic. to me, that's always been one of the funniest scenes. And when yeah. Goob just, what? And it's just so great. I mean, he does this long, super passionate yeah. speech about hating your enemies, never letting it go. And he's just, what is he oh, talking about? We do oh, these God. at our house. I mean, oh, great. curse you, Robinsons, or whatever. You, know? <laughs> you stink. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I'm insulting you, honestly. By, I always like to impersonate, but I'm not even. <laughs> no, it's I awesome. Try. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, we I, we always kind of liked that we were that that don't let it go moment is kind of so good. you know an anti Disney moment. We, yeah, again, that's like the example we talked about earlier about you know well can we do it? Could we try think to do things the way you wouldn't expect? Well, mm. you know all, how many Disney I've worked on so many Disney movies where you have those lovely heart to heart moments and mm -hmm. those are great. And we thought, what if we put that turn that on its head? <laughs> Well, I don't know if everybody saw it, but did you all see that uh, the observatory is named after you? I was going to ask that. <laughs> yeah, our art director, uh, Rob Ruppel, he snuck that in, which was very That's nice cool. of him to do. That's cool. Well, this is kind yeah. of, we'll keep, we'll let you go here shortly, but it's interesting. I, this movie is really, I think, I mean, it was right before they kind of got their new, um, their new formula, right? Of all the like Tangled and Frozen and Frozen Two and all the princesses and everything. I mean, I don't know if do you think they would make something like that nowadays? Do you think that was that of that like a perfect era, you know, for that? Or do you feel like uh, something like this would still ever even get greenlit again? You know, um, I think it it may. I think it could have the chance to. I think it would just be done a lot differently. I don't mm -hmm. think you'd have the. I think it would be a lot less weird. Um, I don't think you'd have some of the more surreal aspects of the movie. I think it would be a, a bit more kind of like it's a it's a, a little more buttoned down in terms right. of its science fiction and a little more grounded. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe not quite as as loopy as some of the moments. I know, but it really is a, a really a wonderful story. I mean, it's a great. I mean, I loved watching with my boys and my my kids, and it was you know it's not about you know where you have to keep keep moving keep moving forward, you know because he really is looking into the past. He's trying to find his answers in the past, mm -hmm. and he and he kind of realizes it's not there, you know. And he, and it is a it is a great story, but you know I have a question because there's got to be a, a scene that was cut out. I'm mm -hmm. guessing. I'm this is my or maybe you have insights that no one else knows what happened to goob you know because mm -hmm. you know he 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 checks the little box with the question mark and that's you know we're we're all but you know his whole life changes because he catches the ball and i just wondered if you know it was there a scene where they show him at a i don't know at an ice cream store he was working at the place with the you know the with the slurpees or whatever yeah funny that you say, it's funny that you said ice cream store because there <laughs> there was a weird version that i had done where they meet him they they lewis and wilbur uh it was a totally it, the circumstances were different i can't remember the mm -hmm. the way it got there but uh he uh, adult goob was a was a ice cream man and he was driving a little bicycle 
and he had a, a little freezer thing on the front handlebars and he pulls up to them and he's like hello boys like ice cream and he was just a sort of nice ice cream man and they were kind of weirded out by him uh-huh. uh, that was super short-lived that like that was really um but i you know a lot of people think well maybe he became a baseball star like maybe mm-hmm. since he didn't give up on baseball he kept going you know as a little kid right um, since he did make the make the winning catch now maybe he stayed with baseball and he like grew up to become this big baseball superstar um i don't know I, um you know well that's part of the fun i know yeah yeah you, you always yeah. kind of want to hope that it all turned out for michael yagubian totally <laughs> i think he at least got has better hygiene now yeah that's uh, right. <laughs> um a little more meat on flow, his bones. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but it is cool that you know lewis the his goal is not inventing the future that he gets to see all these cool inventions it's to get to that family you know that he's always wanted right. and i think that's right. super neat too is you know he's sure he's the kid who's into all the inventions and stuff you would think that might be the part he was most excited about but it's not and i think that's really special but okay. last question here maybe I, obviously we're talking about this but is this what's your favorite project that you've gotten to work on is it meet the robinsons or monsters at work or you know the gro- groove as you guys you know probably worked on i call it what's been the, yeah. the highlight of all of those things you've gotten to do i mean i'm you know it's a cliche to say but like they're all it's like choosing yeah. a favorite mm-hmm. kid, they're all special oh, i um, can pick a favorite kid easy but i i mean I, I definitely Meath Robinson's has a real special place in my heart, mainly a because my first directing, right, my first feature I directed, which was always a dream of mine to direct, become a feature film director and directed Disney, but then also the personal connection that I had with it, um, and being able to, uh, you know, draw from some of those experiences that I had uh, as a kid, as an adopted kid. Mm. And, and you know, getting to sit in the theater at the premiere with next to my mom and my dad, and and mm. hearing my mom just sobbing at the end, and then me just becoming a wreck. Yeah, after hearing yeah, her say, like, wow, it was a really, really lovely moment. Um, and you know, every, every team that I've worked with on every project is has been fantastic. Uh, the uh, Robinsons went w- did have so many difficult, really dark some dark moments uh and the team on the film was the thing that the the thing that kept me going and was that light at the end of the that dark tunnel like they were all so supportive they were all right there with me every step of the way anything i needed they were there for um you know i'm fortunate to work with great crews but this one in particular was really really special um yeah well i i want to say real quick i just have to say thank you for making this movie because i I mean i love to make things and i dream a lot and every time (laughs) i always watch this movie it's always made me just happy inside because i like to look forward to the future and a lot of movies nowadays when they make future movies you know they're always set in these dystopian horrible looking places it's like they should they need to make us excited for the future and oftentimes they don't you know it's like this apocalyptic but i really just appreciate the overall the, the feeling of the movie that it gives people um and just all the you know the retro futuristic designs and the colorfulness of it and the music and it's just really is special and it really does have a special place in my heart so oh thank you Ike. i really appreciate that that's that's really, that's really lovely to hear thank you really great yep well we really appreciate steve we won't keep you any longer um you know i see uh i see you know you worked on monsters at work 
there is a Monsters of Work season two. I don't know if you're involved in that at all or if we'll get to see anything from you in the future, but we really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this amazing movie that is, I would say, criminally underrated for Disney Disney's animated <laughs> movies. Um, it's it's definitely a classic in our in our book. Um, but thank you so much for taking some time and joining us tonight. Thank you all. It was a real pleasure and uh, really honored to be part of your podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the wonderful world of Disney Plus, and we'll see you real soon.